Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there, and welcome to the third episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. I'm very excited about our conversation today. Today, we're going to explore polyamory, and open relationships. I know it's a very controversial topic for many of you, and I encourage you to keep an open mind about this topic. Like most of you, I have also been taught that there's only one way of relating to a partner. Sex was only justifiable in a lifelong monogamous heterosexual marriage. I was also told that monogamy is normal and natural and whoever had any desire that did not meet the definition that I just shared with you were morally deficient, psychologically disturbed and going against nature. I didn't know that much about polyamory, but I was raised in a culture that some people practice polygamy. And coming from a feminist household, I often saw it as a sign of oppression. It wasn't until I started working with individuals and triads in my private practice that I learned about what is the true meaning of polyamorous relationships. Many of my patients, they were able to successfully navigate their relationships, and their relationships were based on open communication, emotional honesty, and safe sex. That's why I thought it would be a very interesting topic to explore further with my guest, Tamara Powell. Tamara is a licensed mental health counselor and empowerment coach. 
In 2014, she founded Aria Therapy Services, a holistic counseling and coaching practice that offers services in person in Pensacola, Florida area. I hope I said right, and online across the U.S. and internationally. Tamara also has a podcast. She just recently launched it, and it's called "Undressing the Spirit," which will look at the intersection between sexuality and spirituality. Here is my conversation with Tamara Powell. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. Today we're talking about alternative to monogamous relationships. As probably most of you know, our culture is biased toward more traditional monogamous relationships. And when it comes to other alternative relationships, most of us are misinformed. Our guest today is licensed mental health counselor Tamara Powell. Welcome, Tamela, to our show. Hi! Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. I'm very excited about our conversation today. So let us start. Tell us a little bit about your practice and your experience working with sexually diverse clients. Yes. So I opened up Aria Therapy Services in 2014. I'm actually in what's considered the Bible Belt in the United States. I'm down in Pensacola, Florida. So we're right. We're considered part of the Deep South. And I noticed that there wasn't a lot of opportunities for anything that was non-traditional. And conversely, like I did grow up in the Christian church, so there also wasn't a lot for. Um, even people in Christianity that were that wasn't necessarily looking for a biblically based counseling practice. So mm-hmm. I really wanted to bridge the gap and provide holistic counseling for basically everything in the box and outside the box as well. So I have kind of made a name for myself in working with the LGBTQ population and polyamory and kink and basically everything related to relationships and the erotic. That is so fascinating because you know I'm I'm based in LA and I didn't think about like uh, how prevalence are like non-traditional partners and sexual di- how people are diverse in sexuality in other part of United States. So you started, and I would imagine it's very well received. Uh, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> so incredibly well received by my clients who want me here, um, and then certainly there are people that just have no idea what to do with us. So that's okay too. <laughs> and I can totally understand that because even in LA, when I people here, I work with polyamorous couples, they get kind of like sometimes offensive. Thinking, yes. Yes. That we are trying to convert people or right. they're going to get like threatened. So that's fantastic that you're doing that work. I think so. <laughs> okay. Wonderful. So uh, there are different definitions around polyamory. What is your definition of polyamorous relationship? So for most of my clients that come in and say that they're polyamorous or poly, um, we tend to 
basically use what the word means, multiple loves. And it doesn't necessarily mean that my clients are absolutely head over heels with all of their partners, but it just means that they're open to both themselves and the people that they're with having more than one romantic interest. And so how that looks is very different couple to couple, but it just, it's anything other than completely non-monogamous. Absolutely. And it was, it's a term that coined in 1990s. And Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, it talk about uh, loving many people. And I see that, that how people use this term differently based on the kind of uh, loving and sexual relationship they're practicing. So uh, based on your experience, who chooses polyamory and why? People who Well, I actually have two. I think there's two types of people that end up in poly relationships. The first ones just seem to be naturally polyamorous. It's almost as if it never occurred to them that monogamy should be the thing. (laughs) Those are the types of personalities that they're like, well, I love chocolate, but I also love peanut butter. Why can't I have both? Um, It just, they don't seem to be as territorial or possessive or struggling with as much jealousy as perhaps the vast majority of us tend to do when we when we are in love right the idea of to love is often to have and belong to um but for this first set of clients they just don't operate on that continuum nearly as much it doesn't mean that they don't ever get jealous and they're oftentimes it's one of the reasons that brings them into my office but when it comes to love, they just never think about limiting themselves. And then the second group of people that I often see falling into polyamory are couples who just want diversity. They find themselves in a relationship and they want to perhaps try incorporating a different type of sexual play or a different type of sexual partner. And so they kind of stumble upon polyamory for lack of a better term. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I see the similar pattern in people that I see in my practice. Some of them, as you mentioned, by nature, they are more adventurous and they find it so fascinating and they can have committed, multiple committed relationships. And some of them, when I work with them in a monogamous relationship, they constantly talk about their frustrations and their issues and their they really want to work out the uh, relationship they have, but they found that, as you, men- you mentioned, that they have other interests. And I've seen many successful couples who were able to navigate polyamorous relationship. And I, did, I was myself a little bit skeptical until mm-hmm. I started working with clients and I started going to trainings on mm-hmm. working polyamorous relationships and couples. And I found that, there are people that are very successful and one misinformation that some people have is that these people have issues with attachment, it's avoidance, but Mm -hmm. based on my experience, that's not what I see and what I experience with my clients. What's your perspective on that? No, it's certainly not been the case for for me either. In fact, for the clients who started out as monogamous and are looking to open their relationship, I've actually experienced by watching them have an increased intimacy and attachment within the marriage. I've actually seen increase both in frequency and in intensity, like satisfaction rating of the marriage dynamic. 
no matter who many, how many people they're playing with on the side. So I don't at all buy into the fact that they're avoidant, but it is certainly something that I would love to continue to see in our field uh, be changed and be normalized because for so long that has kind of been the thought. And I actually had an experience in grad school during my internship where one of the couples I was working with on the university counseling center. So they were probably like in their early twenties. My supervisor instantly recommended that I not advise them to continue on trying to have an open relationship. She just said that that was absolutely going to be the death of it, that they were just being, yeah, they were probably just being selfish or egocentric and that it was automatically going to spell the death of their relationship. And that was my first clue of, huh, (laughs) (laughs) we probably should dive into this more. There needs to be more, again, open-minded therapists who are willing to have these conversations Absolutely. And the research in, the, in this field is a little bit limited because mm-hmm. people just recently started looking into it because of all kind of bias associated with polyamorous relationships. And it's so funny that I and I shared with you in the past that I have a Farsi podcast. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking maybe even in the Middle Eastern uh, culture, people were not, that this is not something they experienced, but I got lots of uh, questions and interests. People wanted to learn more about polyamorous relationship. That was fascinating. And what I find is the more we talk about this topics openly, the more we hear that people are interested and they're just kind of concerned to talk about these things uh, with others. You're so right. And you know, what's funny is I saw a statistic the other day that nearly a third of us, so that's a lot of people are in some form of non-monogamy. It may not be an openly polyamorous relationship, but they might have some unwritten rule about, you know, maybe if one of us is out at the club and we happen to get a little tipsy and we make out with someone that that's not going to spell the death of the relationship. Or if while we're traveling, something happens, um, or what about, you know, flirtations at work? it's not always sexual. Um, so it's not, it's certainly not counterculture or something that we're not used to. And what I find fascinating about um, from an anthropological standpoint is that every single, almost every single culture on the planet, even religiously has a background and a basis in perhaps polygamy mm-hmm. where we've had, multi- when we finally make it legal. So if we're talking the Abrahamic faiths of Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, we, who all point back to Abraham, he had multiple wives and lovers and concubines. It's certainly been a cultural standpoint Um, especially for patriarchal cultures. So it's not like we're not used to the idea of people being attracted to more than one person, but for some reason we now have this taboo in modern society about it being okay. I just find that fascinating. (laughs) No, it is fascinating. And it's so funny because I barely see someone who only had one significant other or lover. So it's not the issue of whether it works, uh, it's whether it's possible to love more than one because many people had that experience. It's just a question of whether they can have multiple partners sequentially or uh, at the same time. And you're absolutely right. There, It's been in different cultures. And one thing that I've noticed that uh, sometimes people get defensive because they kind of associate polyamory with polygamy. And they think right. about that all that patriarchal patterns and mm-hmm. they kind of, they get scared and they see it as a sign of oppression. 
Mm-hmm. So which you can see the similarities, but then polyamorous is just polyamory. Oftentimes, at least in the clients that I see, is more egalitarian. Tend to be more egalitarian. Yeah, for me too. And sometimes, actually, quite frequently down here, it's the female initiating. And there are some tribes on the planet where only the women have multiple male partners. So it certainly <laughs> can go either way. <laughs> Wonderful. It's good to hear. And I wanted to clarify that. Yeah. And uh, so what, now we talk about that. What is the difference between polyamory, polygamy, and swinging? Because that's something that people often uh, confuse. Yes, and rightfully so, because it really depends upon who's using the language. And there's even disagreement within the subcultures as to what each of them means. So as with anything of language, it's all about the power that we give to the word. And so I tell my clients, like, you're still going to have to decide for yourself. But typically, if we're just speaking broad strokes, swinging is usually just um, sexual experiences. The basis, the focus is on sex. And it may be shared part between the couple or it may be we go to a, a sex club and I watch you have sex with someone else or we go into separate rooms but the focus is on just a sexual experience we probably leave that night and we may or may not hook up with these people again but it's kind of in this category of this is one of our sexual outlets polygamy kind of goes to the exact opposite end and it's where um, we decide to make it either legal or since it's pretty it's illegal in the United States or we just kind of um, have a ceremony between us so I have some um, triads and quadrads three four five people who they have a ceremony or or they just choose to wear rings or some other form of jewelry and have a partnership among them they may yeah they may choose to raise children together they may not it really varies and so polyamory to me is kind of somewhere in the middle where Um, One of us may have a secondary partner and or a third partner, or we both do, but it's about, like you said before, potentially having emotional attachment to more than one person, not just sex. Right. And that is correct. And with swinging, you thought it's more your understanding of it. It's more just sexual aspect of it. And it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily romantically involved. And one thing that you were talking about that I find that many people have questioned about is raising children. Yes. I know that people think it's a bad, might be a bad role model for children. I certainly work with, I work with couples that had children and it was, they were in a polyamorous triad and things uh, such as uh, like that, that they mm-hmm. were in the polyamorous relationship and their children were doing well because they had more resources. But what's yes. your experience uh, around raising children in a polyamorous families? I would have to agree with you. It's all about, and from my opinion as a counselor, how healthy are the people at play? How are they navigating the parental roles? Are they able to be good mentors? Does this triad have a good arrangement for how the bills are going to get paid? How the division of labor, who's going to watch the children? It has been my experience as well that it typically means more more people, more resources. There's more uh, mentors available for the child to go to to have their emotional needs met, their physical needs met, you name it. So as long as there is, I tend to call it the scaffolding, like the structure, <laughs> as long as there's a good structure in place for what happens if this, for some reason, changes in a dynamic, it's no different than if a monogamous couple chooses to divorce. Absolutely. You know? So yes. I don't know why we're demonizing one over the other. 
It's these people aren't out there swinging from the chandeliers, having sex in front of the kids. Right. And you point out a very good thing that was like, you know, it depends on the health of the partners, mental health mm-hmm. of the partner, similar to the monogamous couples. And if they're healthy and they have good arrangements, I find it's very productive and people can have more resources and more things to kind of dedicate to raising their children. And the one thing that I wanted to hear your thoughts about, sometimes I hear from my clients about their frustration around uh, monogamous relationships, and they're kind of curious about polyamory, but they're not ready to make the transition or they're just not, they, they want to entertain the idea, but they, they wanted to do it in a safe way. What are some of the recommendations you, do, you give your clients? I recommend that they start talking with their partner that they're in a monogamous relationship about why at first, like let's set the, I give them two words, the intentionality and then implementation. So Mm -hmm. we need to be clear about the intention. Why, why are we moving into polyamory? Is it that we want more of something? Because sometimes people enter into a monogamous relationship and the desired discrepancy, meaning one of us wants it more than the other one is really very apparent. And it's something that they don't, plan on changing. <laughs> so right. sometimes we go into a polyamorous relationship because we want more of it. We want more sex, more of a certain type of intimacy, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's also for a variety. Th- those people that like chocolate and peanut butter, maybe I want to explore same sex attractions, or maybe I want to explore a certain type of kink or even emotional attachment. But that's something that needs in my opinion, to be discussed ahead of time. And then you don't have to know all of the ins and outs yet because quite frankly, you won't know until you try completely. It's kind of like parenting. You might have some great ideas about what parenting might be like, but until that baby pops out, you don't don't really know. But you need to have some idea of what the implementation is going to be like. How often do we want to start by going out together? Is it that we want to experience some sexual novelty together? Or is it that you want to experience on your own? And if so, are you going to stay out overnight? Are we going to use condoms? There's just some very basics that I think can help couples kind of keep it feeling safe because the whole point is to not to jeopardize the primary relationship. It's to enhance it. Absolutely. And you talked about this details and I find it like some people create this contracts. It's very handy around what kind of arrangement they're comfortable with. What mm-hmm. like, you know, around like, you know, who can come over? What's the what is the arrangement around overnight slip? So all those right. things, as you mentioned, that it is because the goal is to improve on people's mental health and sexual experiences, not taking necessarily away from them. And as you were talking about intentionality, I think that's so important because I, I'm working with individual that she decided to experiment with polyamory after she got divorced and she wanted to get back mm-hmm. with her ex who was in the relationship. Mm. And that's why that was her intention. And then mm. she tried it for a while. And then she was, now she's so resentful and kind of frustrated because then, as, as you mentioned, she didn't think about her intentions and why she would want to explore this. Yeah, that's tricky because now she's the secondary partner, which is probably a whole nother podcast on <laughs> on the, the rights and, and rules for secondary partners and, you know, tertiary partners, et cetera, because, but now she's the other woman rather than the primary relationship. And it's hard to go back. 
Absolutely. And as far as the dynamics and the expectations, you mentioned that it's very different. So I think there are lots of small details and things that people need to think about it when they're exploring these things. But as you mentioned, it's like, I love when you said that it's like parenting. So unless people are like kind of in the midst of it, they might not. It's a huge learning curve. So. And, you know, quite honestly, something that doesn't get talked about a lot, too, is the strengths of polyamory. Honestly, some a lot of my polyamorous clients could actually teach my monogamous clients a lot because <laughs> <laughs> there is like an inherent understanding in polyamory that we are going to communicate. I mean, seriously, if we're honest with ourselves as a culture, how many monogamous couples sit down and talk as much as polyamorous ones have to (laughs) talk about division of labor, where we're going to be, when we're going to be, and not in a rules-based way, but out of respect for one another, another, because we want there to be this strong intimacy between us. Absolutely. And I was talking to one of the colleagues that she's practiced, and she has been practicing polyamory for decades. And she Mm -hmm. was sharing with me that recently she had this surgery and because of the kind of a deep relationship she had with her ex-lovers and the polyamorous relationship she was at previously, she got lots of support. People came to support her. Like she mm-hmm. stayed with few of them and kind of they provided for her. So she was talking about like she created a community around this relationship. That's something that's very important for, for people to keep in mind. Yes. So one thing that you mentioned earlier, I think that's very important is about jealousy because Mm -hmm. jealousy can be problematic in uh, some of the polyamorous relationship and also similar to any other kind of relationships, which block many people from full experiencing their full uh, sexuality and being playful with range of options available to them. How uh, do you help couples to work through their jealousy and issues around this similar topics? In a variety of ways. I'm really big about handy dandy tools. And so Kathy Labriola, who is a polyamorous counselor as well, wrote an amazing jealousy workbook that I recommend for most people, as well as her regular book called Love and Abundance. A oh, I haven't read that. I have to oh. check it out. Fantastic. Yes. I'll email it to you so you can have it for the show notes if you want. It's called Love and Abundance, a Counselor's Advice on Open Relationships. And then after she came out with that one, she added in a a workbook that (laughs) lists all of the exercises that she talks about in the main book. And so I will often, you know, flip to a particular chapter that the people I'm working with might be having an issue with. But on top of that, my personal go-to is usually to help them get very grounded in who they are as individuals and what they are looking for. Because there is a paradox at play. For example, I'm a short, curvaceous woman, right, with a shaved head. I cannot be the tall, willowy (laughs) ballet dancer. It's just not going to happen. And so if my lover happens to be dating someone that is my complete opposite, naturally some insecurities could pop up, right? I hear this a lot from clients. Well, what if she gives it to him better than I do? What if he decides that that's more of what he wants than what I have? And my focus is usually you need to bring it back down to where you're at. By nature, her being the tall willowy one, and this is just a basic example talking about physicality, she cannot provide 
what I can. Like by nature, chocolate cannot be peanut butter. You can't, that's not the point of it. And when we try to be anything other than who we are, we limit ourselves. We actually make ourselves smaller and we end up, the paradox is becoming less of what our partner was attracted to in the first place. Absolutely. And I love the analogy of chocolate and peanut mm-hmm. butter because it's just so true. People, different people have different things to add to a relationship. And it's not necessarily we are competing for one kind of strength or attention. Right. So that was a wonderful example. So uh, we're toward the end of our time. I wanted, obviously, you're an expert in this field. So mm-hmm. how can people get a hold of you, Tamara? I have my practice website, which is Aria Therapy Services. And so Aria, A-R-Y-A, at ariatherapy.com. I chose that word because it means anything but ordinary in Sanskrit. I love Um, that. (laughs) I love that, right? Yes. And then recently, I founded Tales from a Trapezoid, which is my um, place to be a little more free with the raw, edgy side Mm -hmm. of life. So you can find me on Facebook under both of those, Aria Therapy Services and Tales from a Trapezoid. And then they also have their own separate web pages. And then come January, I'm very excited to be launching my own podcast called Undressing the Spirit, which will cover all of this and basically everything related to sexuality and spirituality, because those are my two passions. Wonderful. And I'll make sure I put the information on our show notes. And I'm very excited for your upcoming podcast. And please keep us posted on that. And thank you so much for accepting our invitation. It was lovely to talk to you. You too. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tamara. I learned from her that there are lots of ways to relate, to love, to share sex, and to be human. And none of them in any way reduces or invalidates any of the others. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, I really appreciate if you leave an honest review for our show in iTunes. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.